Alright all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 231 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the 1949 short film episode of the SLS Cast. Because it turns out that back in 1949, there was a short film directed by a Gene Mitri that actually won the short film Palme d'Or at the 1949 Cannes Film Festival. And that film was Pacific 231. That's right, folks. It's actually about a train. It's just a nice little short film about a train. And with that wonderful little bit of 1949 short film knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. Well, hello there, Tim. Well, hello there, Matthew. How are you doing? I am well. Are you well? I am well. I've been hearing your voice a lot lately. You know, I have too. Do you have any idea how how much bullshit we talk about before we ever actually press the record button? <laughs> we 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 do okay there's like folks there's about there's usually a good uh, no less than 20 minutes of show prep outside of anything we might talk about during the week hitting text messages and stuff or anything like that um we you know go over some stuff or talk show business or anything and it's it and it's no less than 20 minutes usually about 30 before the show and that's really, really good for us. We used to go like 50 or 60 minutes before we would actually start recording. Oh, and we're complaining about this because I'm pulling, we're both uh, listening to audio for our best of episode for next week. Which we're not supposed to say anything. That's the segment. That's the bonus segment. Oh, but then people are like, well, why are you listening to all that audio beforehand if you already recorded it and it's been edited and put out there? I'm I'm kind of like clearing it up a little bit you know i mean oh, i'm, I'm I kidding we're I not see. doing a best of episode <laughs> just get a lot of bleeps until the bonus segment yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bonus uh, segment is this entire opening unbleeped there you that go. is the bonus segment Congratulations, bonus segment. All right, well, look, though, but seriously, folks, we have got a lot of stuff to get to tonight, or this week, rather. Not tonight. This isn't tonight. This is whenever you're listening to it. Ooh, you know, putting the curtain up. Yeah, so do you want to just go ahead and jump right in, sir? I think so. We should. All right, well, we are going to stop by the old mail sack, are are we not? I don't know. What do the kids say? (laughs) Check that mail sack. Check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. (laughs) Isn't that just the best damn sequence opening ever? I mean, come on, guys. That's just awesome. I threw that together in two minutes, and I listened to it, and I literally, my response was, eh, eh that'll do, I guess. And then Matt <laughs> listens to it, and he really liked it, so I, I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
awesome. Okay, well, just uh, in the interest of time, folks, I want to let y'all know, thank you. We have literally been inundated in the past few weeks with followers upon followers on Twitter. We got, we literally got another 26 followers on Twitter this week, and I would like to thank all of them uh, individually. We just, it's getting to the point where we just don't have as much time to do that anymore. But I am going to take a special note out here and and mention uh, some new podcasting friends of ours, Nerds with Words at Nerds with Words One. They are a comedy podcast hosted by comedians at Adam Nutter and at Real. Greg Trout. They are part of hashtag BSPN. <laughs> you see, like B, like better instead of E, like entertainment. Um, and then they've got a, got a Facebook here, you know, facebook.com slash nerds with words. And you can even use hashtag nerdspod to contact them. So, and they're out of Pennsylvania. Just want to say thank you. They've been very, very special uh, in terms of really reaching out to us and, and they've been listening to us and um, lots of encouragement and everything. So thank you guys. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to returning that favor to you. Um, we also picked up a new Podbean follower. Now, this is like literally the fifth or sixth time this has ever happened. So I want to make a special mention. Thank you to uh, Yoon King Chen, uh, who's now following us. So that is awesome. And those are, of course, all of the followers there. And then everyone else who's been following us, thank you so very much. Uh, we also got a quick email here from Diana. Miss Diana, who is not paying attention as I stand here uh, with my hands on my hips, you know, in an A pose, because you can see that, right? Um, yes, she sends us an email with Kubo and the two strings as the subject, and she says, never heard you guys mention this, so resending. Now, Miss Diana, we love you, and so this comes from love, but we mentioned you like right after you sent it to us last time. Because Tim was so ecstatic that someone, once again, was focused on what he had to say and took it to heart and then shared it. Because you did that uh, over Easter. So as soon as we came back from Easter, we did mention that you watched it uh, on Netflix with the fam. So um, thank you again, though. We really do love it when you send us stuff. And always keeping us on our toes and making sure to keep us honest. So, you know, henceforth... May 8th will be known as the day of Diana. <laughs> like, of course we talked about it, because normally when people take what I say to heart, they go off and commit horrendous crimes. So I'm glad you took it to heart and got something very positive and safe from it. Sure. Or in the case of, you know, rubber, where it just causes friction between a man and his father-in-law for the rest of, you know, eternity. Wait, as in, like, whatever. What, the, the tire, killer tire movie, or, like, condom yeah. rubber? What do, I mean... The killer tire movie. Okay. With me well, and my I mean, father-in-law. Technically, you know. a, a, a condom can cause friction between you and your father-in-law. <laughs> Is Jerry Springer still on? Can you make a Jerry Springer joke? I don't know. That sounds like there's a Jerry Springer joke in here, but um, I don't know if he's even still on the air anymore. Oh, well. Was, was that the joke? <laughs> Well, we'll make it the joke. How <laughs> we do that? Let's make it the joke. Uh, anyhow. All right. But thank you again. Yes, if you want to send us an email, we would love to hear from you. Please send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And if you would like to follow us on Twitter, please do so by following us at the SLScast. So without further ado, I guess we should go ahead and jump right into the, into the news. What do you say? Jump in. 
Here we go, folks. It's the news. And first up from me, from HollywoodReporter.com, by way of Boris Kitt, Get Out filmmaker Jordan Peele signs first look deal with Universal. And as of May 3rd, 2017, this was an exclusive for The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, yes, it says here that under the two-year uh, pact, the studio stakes a claim to Peele's next film, an untitled social thriller that he will write, direct, and produce. Uh, you heard it here. And, of course, at Hollywood Reporter, Universal Pictures is saying get in to get out filmmaker Jordan Peele. The studio has signed a appeal to a first look overall production deal with his Monkey Paw Productions banner. Uh, yeah, so um, says the project is looking to have a larger canvas than Get Out as the budget will be about five times bigger than the low budget movie Peele made with producer Jason Bloom. Uh, the deal comes as nearly every studio had been chasing Peele who wrote and directed the breakout thriller released in February that became a cultural phenomenon thanks to its creative way of tackling racial issues. The movie, which Universal released, has grossed more than $194 million worldwide and was made on a budget of about $5 million. The studio moves swiftly and aggressively to bring the actor-filmmaker into the fold um there's definitely quite a bit more to that article that's barely even the first third of that article and um something that i was very uh, happy to notice and i'm sure that um jordan was absolutely happy no there was nothing in there about key and peel it was straight up just jordan peel and that's awesome I'm very happy to hear that. What do you think of that there, Tim? Um, we already knew uh, from previous news segments that he's looking to do like four or five of these social, uh, you know, uh, social thriller kind of pieces or whatever. Um, but what do you think about uh, him actually having a an inked deal at this point? I think that's cool. It's good for him. I mean, he definitely has talent with uh, writing and directing. So I- I'm happy for him. I just hope that he or the studio hopefully they don't completely give him whatever he wants you know what i mean well or i mean like, or like I, over, I don't know. over I mean, if he was able to project do, sure but i mean in in today's world you know he made this huge movie on five million they said it's going to be about four times bigger so a 20 million dollar i mean that's in in the realm of movies that's not even a middling budget that's still um it's modest. I, I'm not going to say it's a low budget. I mean, but it's definitely a modest budget. So, um, assuming he can, even if he just does the exact same thing and only, and only, only gets another, you know, 190 million, that's still going to be, you know, factoring in the standard rule of thumb, double the budget for the, you know, production and promotion. Um, that's still going to be almost five times of return on your investment there. So, well, I think he knows that everybody is going to go and see his follow up because if he was able to get people to see get out based on that really weird trailer for it, then mm. I don't think they're going to have any issue with um, pretty decent box office intake for his follow up. I just, I hope it's good. I mean, I know he's wanting to stick in this social commentary horror, it's kind of weird saying the social commentary horror when a lot of horror movies from the 80s that a lot of people love is actually based off of social commentary. So I always thought social commentary and horror went went hand in hand for the most part. So it's really interesting now hearing that 
I, he's bringing it more into the forefront. So I think he's really opening up people's eyes and and maybe realizing there's more out there than these paranormal activity movies or saw movies or sure. And I know, I mean, and, and of course, as you noticed, I mean, you said, as you pointed out, everybody's going to go and see this next one, which I mean, that, that definitely puts a great deal of pressure on him for sure. So cool. Well, what do you got for us, sir? Okay. First up via IndieWire.com, David Lynch is done with film and promises 2006's Inland Empire was the last movie he'll ever make. This here is written by Michael Schneider, and it was published on May 5th, and it says this. Say it ain't so, David Lynch. As we await the return of his TV masterpiece Twin Peaks later this month, Lynch is making it clear that he won't be returning to the film world again. Lynch hasn't made a picture since 2006's Inland Empire. Now he tells the Sydney Morning Herald that Inland Empire represents the end of his filmmaking career. It's a changing business, after all, and there isn't much room anymore in the blockbuster and franchise-minded industry for creatives like him. Saying, quote, Things changed a lot, end quote, Lynch told the newspaper, quote, so many films were not doing well at the box office, even though they might have been great films, and the things that were doing well at the box office weren't the things that I would want to do, end quote. Asked point blank whether he has made his last feature film, Lynch paused and then confirmed it, yes. Lynch's insistence that he's done with features comes soon after the 40th anniversary of his landmark first film, 1977's Eraserhead. The auteur's credits include Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, Mulholland Drive, and Lost Highway. Of course, Twin Peaks, which originally aired on ABC from 1990 to 1991 and spawned 1992's Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, is also a key piece of Lynch canon. The new Twin Peaks premiere is on Showtime with 18 episodes starting May 21st. Marketing surrounding the revival has mostly focused on old footage, iconic characters, and very little imagery from the new show. That's by design, Lynch told the newspaper, arguing that too much marketing completely ruins the experience, saying, quote, People want to know up until the time they know, then they don't care, end quote, he said, quote, So speaking for myself... I don't want to know anything before I see something. I want to experience it without any purification. Pure. I want to go into a world and let it happen. And all quotes there. The article does go on for one little tiny paragraph. But uh, yeah, end all quotes there. Um, Matt, what do you think about this? Uh, would you like to see more David Lynch? Or do you think he's right? I mean, I personally think he's right. I can't see a movie like Eraserhead. Youth now, <laughs> the casual moviegoer now would not get a kick out of Eraserhead. I don't think a lot of people would get a kick out of going to see uh, The Elephant Man either, and that's my all-time favorite David Lynch movie. Well, while you and I have never really been, you know, at at overall odds when it comes to David Lynch, you definitely have a greater appreciation for him than I do. And I think that's really what it boils down to. And I, and I don't mean to sully, I don't, I, because it's almost not fair to David Lynch that I'm about to say this, but it is, it is the closest, um, it, it, it's the closest, uh, I guess, metaphor. I don't know. It, it's basically the closest analogy I can make. It seems to me that he's kind of doing the U-Bowl thing, right? 
he's not happy with his ability to make the films that he wants to make. The types of films that he would truly like to make anymore would not really be well received. And so therefore he's like, that's it. I'm out. Um, and again, I'm using it loosely in no way, shape or form. Am I trying to, 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 uh, imply that Lynch's body of work is in any way, shape or form related to Bull's body of work, but his, but his point feels the same. And for me, it's especially for someone who does have the class, who does actually have the chops. It seems to me that he's in a better position than most to demand the caliber of audience. Now, I think he would have to um, accept budget constraints that he might not be willing to accept. But I believe he's in a position to demand the level of and the and the caliber of audience that he wants for the films that he would like to make instead of that. And I I don't know, I just feel it's a little bit cop-out-ish, but I certainly understand it and he is completely entitled to his opinion and you are right because he could not make a movie even like The Elephant Man today. So, well, you know, also he's I think he's like 70 or just about 70. I mean, he's getting up there in age also. True. And he's also directing, I believe, or he, I believe he did direct every episode of the new Twin Peaks series. So there's still TV. I mean, you never know. He might do music. I think he still does like a lot of shorts and music videos. So he still keeps pretty active in the art of cinema in some way, or maybe not cinema, but you know, filmmaking. Yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty interesting. Are are you a Twin Peaks fan? Are you excited at all for the new Twin Peaks show, or curious? Maybe I would go with curious. Um, I, I had a uh, a friend of mine back in high school, one of my best friends in high school, and he, he was one hundred percent just in adoration of all things Twin Peaks, and so he had me sit down and watch Twin Peaks and the series, and Firewalk with me, and, uh, like, taught me to play the, the, the theme on the piano, and, I mean, <laughs> like, it was pretty serious, right? Um, so, I will definitely say that I, that I, I get Twin Peaks, so I'm curious, but that's about all. Yeah, we just binge-watched the entire show, and that is definitely not a show made for binge-watching. <laughs> is your head hurt? <laughs> well, it's not that, but it's like the damn theme song, like a lot of the the musical suites that they use for each character, like each character theme they use in every single episode when that character shows up. So, I mean, the show's made to watch, I mean, it wasn't made for repeat viewings, like so close to, you know, so close together, or not repeat uh, viewings, but binge watching. So I'm sure. kind of curious to see if like, if they're going to take that in consideration now with the new show on Showtime, or if... They're going to kind of keep the same pacing and setup and kind of music cues as they as they did before. So I am just really curious in seeing what uh, what they're doing. And I absolutely agree. I love what he said here about keeping movies or keeping things more of a mystery for people. Where he says, quote, people want to know up until the time they know when they don't care. So speaking for myself, I don't want to know anything before I see something. I want to experience without any perfection, pure. I want to go into a world and let it happen, end quote. Sure. That is exactly how I feel with movies. That's why I skip previews. I just, 
Um, I used to love previews. Previews used to whet my appetite to get me interested in a film. Now, and in part thanks to the show, I'm able to find out about a lot of movies ahead of time. Uh, but movies that I don't find out about ahead of time, it's kind of risky because then I might not see them. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I, I agree there 100%. I love to, I want to go in and I want a movie to be an experience. I want the story to move me. I want to be a part of what is happening, even in a voyeuristic way, in, in terms of cinema. And it's very, very difficult to do that in today's day and age. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, what else you got for us, sir? All right, so this is kind of movie news. I, well, kind of not movie news, but uh, it pertains to popcorn, uh, the thing that a lot of us eat when we are watching movies, either at home or at the movie theater. I just thought this was very interesting. Theconsumerreports.com or .org. Is popcorn the perfect healthy snack? Apparently, popcorn has the crunchy, salty appeal of chips, or pretzels, but you can have three cups of the air pop snack for slightly fewer calories than you'll find in one sourdough pretzel, yes. Perhaps that explains the huge increase in demand for bagged popcorn. According to market research firm Mintel, 54% of Americans surveyed in 2016 had purchased ready-to-eat popcorn in the previous six months, and sales topped one billion dollars yes one billion dollars in popcorn sales in 2016 quote that's 100 percent growth from four years ago end quote says caleb bryant a senior analyst at mintel or mental manufacturers of bagged brands have capitalized on popcorn's relatively healthy reputation splashing the front of the packages with such claims as quote whole grain end quote quote gluten-free end quote and quote 50 percent less fat end quote Many brands also boast the calorie count per cup. Even some of the popcorn brands' names, such as Skinny Pop and Smart Food, make the products sound like health foods, if not outright diet aids. Consumer Reports' food testing team set out to see whether bagged popcorn is really a healthy snack and whether there were any meaningful differences in nutrition and taste among brands. Yes, and so... Apparently, these are the health risks, or the health perks. <laughs> I, I need to make sure I get that right, right? Uh, the health perks of plain popcorn. Though you might not think to put it in the same category as whole wheat bread or steel-cut oats, popcorn is a whole grain which research has shown can help your health. A 2016 review of 45 studies published in the British Medical Journal found that eating three servings of whole grains per day was linked to a 22% reduction in cardiovascular disease risk and a 15% reduced risk of cancer. It's also a good source of antioxidants, compounds that can prevent cell damage, but of course, a popcorn's healthfulness depends on the ingredients and the amount of them. It contains, says Beth Kitchen, Ph.D. R.D.N. Assistant Professor of Nutrition Sciences at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. A little salt and oil or sugar in a kettle corn may not hurt, but quote, but if you're loading it up, you can get into trouble, end quote, she says. Uh, and, you know, and I, I think the rest is pretty self-explanatory. It goes on, talks about how to read the popcorn label <laughs> and, and uh, if the cheesy or if the sweet style 
is worse, which is worse, either the cheesy or the sweet. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, you, you know, I think you should look this up if you're that curious. Uh, because honestly, when I read it in my head earlier, it sounded much more entertaining. And as I was reading out loud, it slowly began to prove me wrong. Uh, but that was consumerreports.com.org. Consumerreports.org, not .org.com or .com.org, but just consumerreports.org is popcorn the perfect healthy snack. Yes, I'm just going to move on over to DeadlineHollywood.com. Absolutely anything Robin Williams' last film with Monty Python crew gets U.S. release date. This here is written by Anita Bush, and it says this, exclusive, Absolutely anything, the comedy that stars Simon Pegg and Rob Williams as the voice of his faithful dog, the last feature film that the Monty Python crew have worked on together, has found distribution. Atlas Distribution Company will distribute the Terry Jones-directed film theatrically. The film also stars his Monty Python pals John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin. Outside of documentaries, the Monty Python crew have not worked on a feature film together since 1983's The Meaning of Life, and very sadly, it likely will be the last time, as absolutely anything director Jones, Terry Jones, recently revealed to the British press that he has dementia, saying in a way only he could, quote, my frontal lobe has absconded, end quote. Jones directed absolutely anything from a script he wrote with Gavin Scott 20 years earlier. The property was pre-sold in every territory by the U.S. and South Korea. After bowing last year in the U.K. via Lionsgate, it will be given a limited release in the States. Atlas is shooting for a May 12th release. The film was produced by Bill Jones and Ben Timlett. Micah yada 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 um, in the article goes on from there. Yes, absolutely anything uh, does star Simon Pegg and... um, and oh, what's her name? She was, she was the girl. She's she's an underworld, the underworld lady. But Simon Pegg ends up being granted the power of of anything, pretty much anything he wants. He can have anything he wants. He can become anything he wants. Uh, and this is granted to him by these aliens up in space who are kind of monitoring him just to see what he would do with this power. And those aliens are played by Terry Jones, Michael Palin, John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Terry Gilliam. And Rob Williams plays his dog, Simon Pegg's dog, who Simon Pegg grants his dog the ability to talk. And really the best part of this movie, because this movie unfortunately is really bad, um, the best part of the movie is Rob Williams. So if you have any desire to see it, prepare yourself for a really bad movie. But a little Rob Williams voiceover nostalgia, I guess. Matt, is this something that you're going to check out, or do you have any interest in checking it out just for the hell of it, or... Based on what I'm saying about it, do you have no interest whatsoever? Nah, I honestly no. I I remember seeing a preview for it or something a couple a few months ago, and it looked pretty stupid then. And my position has not changed as of this moment. So I shall remember um, Robin Williams fondly with my Aladdins and. Mork and Mindy's and Dead Poet Societies and What Dreams May Come and things of that nature, awakenings, stuff like that. So I'll have a nice, you know, breadth of work um, with which to remember him as both a comedic and serious actor. I don't need him voicing a dog. I mean, if, you can probably even find it on YouTube, to be honest. So, but yeah. 
Did you ever see the porno version of What Dreams May Come? What Dreams May Come? Nope. The last real porn parody I can honestly remember seeing for the sake of seeing it with a party or whatever um, is Saving Ryan's Privates. That's, I mean, how long ago was that? 20 years ago? (laughs) You watched that with a party? Like at a party? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and when it wasn't a sex party, it's the uh, the equivalent of putting on a bad movie in the background. People were, yeah, it was pretty funny. So, hmm. I'll have to try that one time. Next family reunion. We were crazy in the nineties, yo. Uh, you know, this is what we did. <laughs> did Anyhow. you have any more news? Um, yeah, just really, really fast. There's an amazing article. It's an interview back from 2006 from True West Magazine. Uh, so you can go to truewestmagazine.com. And this was by way of Henry Cabot Beck. And this is called, the, the title of the piece is The Western Godfather. Uh, byline, Kurt Russell spills the beans on who really directed 1993's Tombstone. And uh, this is a great interview. Um, it'll probably take you a good 15 minutes to read it. But um, a couple of the surprises here is that uh, ostensibly Kurt Russell directed Tombstone. So, um, and he did it completely under the radar. He didn't want any um, recognition for it. He just really wanted the picture to get made. And so um, there's a lot of really cool stuff about it. And um, apparently there is there's another cut of the movie that Kurt wants to do basically before he dies. <laughs> so I don't know to look for it anytime soon. But um, it's a really cool article. And when I found that out, I was like, wow. And there's a whole new level of respect for me for Kurt Russell and... Uh, especially for Tombstone and and Tim, I know how much you like Tombstone. So man, it, we we're never going to see that cut because we all know that Kurt Russell he has discovered the Fountain of Youth because that motherfucker is de aging. Like <laughs> he he he's looking pretty good still. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And he just recently got a star of a star along with Goldie Hawn last week. Aren't they adorable? Did you see like the cutesy little? pictures the couple pictures of them well you don't make posing. it 30 something years together without wanting to stay that's for sure but anyway so yeah i just wanted to throw that out there I- i'm not going to go into it at all other than to say it's a really good article turns out he directed tombstone and there's and it's really interesting to read how that all that came to be so truewestmagazine.com Check it out. Um, All right, so that is the end of the news, and let's talk a little bit about our very special bonus segment. We have no music to put before this to introduce it. Well, it's because it's just basically... Okay, so as... I'm going to throw in a clip, probably. Maybe a little two- or three-minute clip. Oh, well, okay, so... We're doing a best of episode. In case you haven't figured it out yet, after damn near five years straight of constantly producing new stuff and never not having something new, Tim and I have finally said, fuck it, we're out. (laughs) 
<laughs> but the catch is there's still going to be something new. <laughs> yeah. Technically, technically, even with the best of episode, there will still be some new stuff in there. But the bulk of the episode is just going to be some cool stuff, some cool news that we talked about before, a neat, a neat discussion, you know, and, and we'll probably have a little something like this. Did, did you ever see the, the movie Kama Sutra with uh, Indiri, uh, Invidra Indiri or whatever her name is? No, I think I saw the HBO or Showtime TV show. I saw the um, soft NC-17 version. Um, just for myself. That movie totally hooked me on foreign films, man. I'm not going to lie. Before that, I was like, foreign films? What? Oh, come on. You know, there's a reason why, you know, America, you know, and all this kind of stuff, right? And then my ex-wife, this is the one thing that I will always credit my ex-wife for, aside from her son, um, is... That movie, she made me sit down. Like she's like, "Honey, you just gotta see." I'm like, "Haley, I don't, I don't want to." Watch. She's like, "Please." I'm like, "No, it's." All. She's like, "There's boobs." I'm like, "I'm there." <laughs> so, I mean to tell you, this was some of the most badass, sexy shit I'd ever seen, and uh, only beaten narrowly by uh, Sex and Lucia, uh, which is just another phenomenal foreign film with tons and tons of NC-17 glory all over it um and that is what made me fall in love with pas vega so yeah <laughs> spanglish all the way <laughs> that 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 is a nice transition into a news piece that i have oh yes let's go let's do it news baby bring it on yeah whoa hey can you say that a little bit slower and maybe news baby slightly sexier while you're rubbing your Whoa! Whoa! Oh, hang on. I'm sorry. sitting across from you this you time, are. Tim. I don't know. You I don't are. Know. Some, I'm sorry. Some, I forgot. Some John Lawah. What? Touch you know, my genitals. I, I'm sorry. Oh, the the coral in this room is throwing me <laughs> off a little bit. It's a great movie. NC-17. There's a lot of penises, a lot of vaginas, and a lot of. Boobs. Never lead with penises. Always lead with vaginas. Oh, you know or what? Boobies. You, or hey, boobies. Because there's a lot of sad white women out there that just really need this. Apparently. Is she, in, in the other worlds of the obvious, is she going to have Fabio do the fucking poster? <laughs> all about sex, nudity, uh, uh, domination. Uh, S&M, domination, yeah. all that stuff, which is whatever. Whatever. I know Mike likes to get spanked. Matt, I know... Wait, why do I, I know, have to get drawn I know into this? Like things. Man, I could just go down to the porn store and go get this, you know, for right. four bucks. Hot, steamy sex. Why are you running contests on Suicide Girls? Uh, it was through Tumblr, through the Suicide Girls Tumblr. Uh, wrong with suicide girls. Nothing wrong with nothing's them. wrong with suicide girls. I think they're hot, you know. But I just would think it's kind of um, feminine to win their products. I guess. I okay. It was <laughs> all time. It was an experimental it was like a, It was a social media thing, <laughs> and they just had a contest to just like if all you had to do was like reblog a post Dude, for you're the, the movie. Secret owner of Suicide Girl, shut up. Don't, yes, that'd be. Why would I complain about that? And why would I be living in such a tiny apartment if I was? <laughs> I don't know. You have more. Coral. You are a suicide girl. You're a suicide girl. You're a coral? suicide beard. Coral? Isn't that coral? That or that's teal. Teal, yeah. Teal. And that's teal. teal. And that's mustard Sorry. yellow. Well, you know, Wait till you have to edit over. this. You're gonna hear all my little side comments. And I'm like, did he just say I have a suicide beard? What? Oh, suicide beard. You my, this beard is for Zero Dark Thirty, thank you. So when I go to the theater, I'm not allowed to actually watch it. Nice. No, wow. Well, yeah. Maybe. Just, maybe well, no, when have you go say... in there, when you when, when you go there with your beard, you walk up and you say, "Allah told me to buy a ticket." Oh God. 
<laughs> is that politically incorrect? I'm uh, sorry. Wrong Indian. Oh, Indian. Oh, not, that's Indian, yeah. Not wrong Indian. but hey, That's wrong Indian. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking feathers, yo. Yeah, I mean, the biggest one that's has been announced is a 105-inch uh, 4K TV. But it yeah, I'm having it you. installed next oh, week. Oh, good. So you have $300,000 just sitting around. Dude, I live... In Russia Town, you know, of course I do. You're doing a lot of uh, people trading, I like do. sex slaves and stuff I like that? I do a lot of kegels. Oh, and whoa, whoa. Kegels? Yeah. Yeah, kegels and luge down sunset. You, you know what kegels are, right? Actually, no. Okay, kegels no, are no. vaginal exercise that help oh, tighten yeah. vaginal muscles. Then, yes, um, I but, do hey, I hate kegels. to break it to you. hate to break it to you. Guys have a version of that. Oh, yes. You yes, can do, you can do butt that. kegels. Well, it's not even butt kegels. Um, is that called? Is it called something else? Like tightening the? It's a kegel muscle, uh, similar to the kegel muscle. Where you, you ever come on now, guys? Let's 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 talk real guy talk here. It's Fifty Shades <laughs> of SLS. All right. How Good many title. guys have sat it's around? Thinking, yeah, <laughs> Fifty Shades of SLS. Awesome. Uh, how many guys have ever sat around in, in their entire life and flexed their penis? Come on now. You make it bounce a little bit when it's all hard and everything. That makes my girlfriend Wait, laugh. She loves when I do are that. Are you talking about the shit or the ball sack? Because no, no, you can, who if the you can, hell is flexing their ball sack, dude? Yeah. You can do, well, I don't I know. Said penis. I, I, don't I know. said penis. I don't know. Penis. I don't know. I didn't know if you had him uh, had it in a, we should in, do the, know, the incredible Mr. Limpet sack of. <laughs> we should we should do the intro to the Lock and Load CD for Dennis Leary. <laughs> penis. 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 No, you're literally yeah. Where you bouncing your dick? That is literally flexing. It's flexing part of the oh, prostate. It's like a cock chain. push up kind yeah, of. But you don't actually do a push up. Any of my family members? <laughs> <laughs> Skip all news. <laughs> a cock push up from Tenacious D. Well, and whenever I think of cock push up, I think of Foghorn Langhorn and like a tune. That's what I think nice. of. A, that's what my mind is going. Well, well, all of a sudden I'm pretty aroused right now. Well, you know, I I say, boy, I say. Well, next time I'm I'm sitting on the toilet, I will I will make it happen. I will think of the two of you. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what. Here's here's an easy way to do it for you, dude, okay? If you're not one to be all sexual about it, have you ever peed and then made yourself and stop? Yeah, yeah. I know it's exactly. Like I know exactly because okay. I was kidding. I was playing dumb. I know what you're talking about. Don't play okay, dumb. Okay, good. So it's serious, that's about. the same thing. No, because here's the thing. It's the same thing, and it helps. It helps retain like prostate strength and stuff like that. So when you like get older, uh, you're less likely to prostate problems. I can hold a wet towel up for like 35 minutes with your boner. Yeah. What the uh, hell are you thinking about to keep a boner for 35 minutes like that? Hey, you know what? <laughs> My love life is passionate and sexual. <laughs> I would hope I'm, so. I'm going to send special Facebook messages to your family. <laughs> that's why it's good to be, to be a Mormon. <laughs> Wait, what? Where did the Mormon come from? I don't you know. forget, I know your future brother-in-law, bro. Oh. They sure. are all going to listen to the news. <laughs> You should have it. You should have this like playing loudly. They're at Papa John's. Hell yeah, dude! No, don't worry. Your secret's safe with me. Now that boner talk is done. Well, it's safe with you and safe with all of America. That's right. <laughs> I, know, I might get fans now. Who knows? <laughs> uh, dear thirty-five minute boner guy. It sounds like something from like the Larry Sanders show. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No, not boner guy. Thirty-five minute boner guy. Um, what the fuck are we talking about? Um, kegels. Oh yeah, kegels. So at any rate, yeah, it's actually you know good for you. 
You should do the exercises just like chicks. I'm doing them right now. I am too. It's amazing. <laughs> Join us, Tim, won't you? <laughs> oh, lava! Oh, lava! <laughs> Uh, Work hard for the money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. So you, did we say you everything? could make money if you had a video of you holding a thirty-five minute boner? <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, and, and like, would I? Like, would it be of that? Or would it be of my face, like posing? Would I? Why would be like the Viagra? Two cameras. Guy? Two cameras. Close up, tight on the face, right. and then close up on uh, genitals. Now this will only be shown on the 4K TV, right? Yes. I yes, want high yes. depth of this. All right. I will finance three hundred thousand dollars. I will find a way. Oh, it kind of disturbs me that you guys are wanting to see me lift up towels with my penis. I'm sorry. I think that just for scientific value, I would like to see anybody hold up a wet towel with their erect penis for thirty-five for minutes. minutes. Oh, 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 that was boy, Tim. You card, I wow. tell you. Wow. <laughs> wow, you are a ham. Thank you ham, so ham, much. Ham. Yes, I, when when I'm not a ham, I go ham. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that just happened. So, um, at any rate, we'll tell we'll talk a little bit more about uh, why we're having this best of episode when you hear the best of episode. So, yay! Conclu- conclusion of our very special bonus segment. This is the conclusion of the very special segment. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> but All we're right. just going to put that at the end of everything that we don't have something properly to open or close the segment. Just... Uh, we got no, must be judicious. We must be judicious. Otherwise, it'll get old. All right. Uh, but uh, so episode 232 is going to be the best of episode. Episode 233 will be us when we come back. Um, and we will have an, we will have a bonus segment again for that. And we're actually going to do a, uh, was it worthy? And the was it worthy for when we come back, episode 133, is actually going to be 2012's Jack and Jill. Yes, <laughs> the universally panned, yes, the universally panned Adam Sandler movie. And here's what, here's what we're covering on was it worthy. This is the only film to date that has swept the Razzies. It won all 10 categories for which it was nominated. So we are going to see if it was truly worth, uh, you know, if, if it was truly worthy of sweeping the Razzies. And that's going to be our bonus segment. I think, I think we can probably answer that right now. I'm pretty sure, honestly, I'm pretty sure it's going to be worthy, but I mean, we have to see what the other nominees are and stuff yeah. too. So I do need to, I need to go through and find the audio from whenever we were kind of talking about watching this. And then we promised we would never talk about it on the show because <laughs> that would be hilarious. I guess I'll just send you my hard drive or <laughs> 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 through it at your heart's content. At any rate, though, I believe now we should go ahead and get to the movies. What do you say, sir? Let's movie it. Here we go, folks. It's the movie we This week's movies are Colossal, The Belco Experiment, and Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. Where would you like to start, sir? How about we uh, separate the two James Gunn movies and start off with The Belco Experiment? Well, if we're going to separate them, then we should start with Colossal. Because then you go Colossal, Belco, Guardians, which separates the two James Gunn movies. 
No. Belko is one of the James Gunn. Oh, that's right, because Belko... He wrote it. He wrote Belko. He He did, right. Oh, okay. You're right. My bad. You're right. I don't know what I'm talking about. So we're going to start with the Belko experiment, (laughs) because Tim knows more than I do, clearly. Belco is a non-profit organization that facilitates American companies in South America. All employees, lend me your full attention. Hey, it's Jesus. Your chance of survival increases by following my orders. Your task is simply this. Kill three of your co-workers, or we will kill six others. Hey, all the lines are dead. We need to evacuate the floor. Hey, come on, it's a joke, man. Hey, listen up, everybody. Whoever's doing this, they're having a little fun at our expense. Stage one, commence. His head exploded from the inside. What? When we start working here, they put tracers in the back of our heads. You must not remove the tag from your body. Follow our directives, or we will detonate the explosive. Begin. I ain't melted at all. Do you know what kind of metal this is? I don't really know. We need to discuss all our options. We do not have the right to take innocent human lives. What are you doing? My wife and kids need me. Stage two. Commence. We don't need no more weapons. We need to work together to get the hell out of here. In two minutes, we want 30 of you dead. If 30 of you are not dead, we will end 60 of your lives ourselves. <laughs> right. 2016 American horror film. It's directed by uh, Greg McLean and uh, written by James Gunn. Film stars John Gallagher Jr., Tony Goldwyn, Adria Arona, and Melanie Diaz. Also features the wonderful likes of Michael Rooker and John C. McGinley. Let's not forget those wonderful motherfuckers are up in here. So, what was I going to say? I don't uh, remember what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. All right. So, basically, we've got a bunch of workers who are, um, they, they work for Belco Industries, right? We've got Mike, uh, his girlfriend, Leandra, the boss is, his boss is Barry. Um, Mike is played by John Gallagher Jr. Leandra is Adria Arona. Uh, Barry is played by Tony Goldwyn. And basically, they work for this vague multinational corporation, uh, but they are in Colombia. And, um, Things are weird when they show up to work. The Colombian staff are being exited out. It seems like there's a whole new security detail coming in and everything like that. Um, and while things are going on in their day, all of a the sudden they're told, hey, you got to kill two people or a whole bunch of people are going to die. And they're like, what? And then a bunch of people die. Now that's all like, okay, you got to kill 30 people or 60 people are going to die. And then all hell breaks loose, right? You know, shenanigans ensue. Will people kill? What are the factions? How does everything work? All right. So that's kind of the gist of the movie, basically. All right. Do, do you kill or will you be killed? Will you try and outsmart the system? Blah, 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 blah. Um, so... Here's the thing with the Belco experiment. It's a really, really, really cool premise, and it's got some really interesting, um, got some really interesting characters. But um, let's talk a little bit about James Gunn and his writing style. Um, 
the guy is a great director, as evidenced by Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, either one of them, take your pick, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but when it comes to writing, he leaves a lot to be desired. He understands what he wants to draw from a script. He understands how to convey that into the scene. He also understands how to get those characterizations out of people and, and kind of pull his vision for what, for what these people need to do to work together. So he's good with characters when he's on the set, when he when it's tangible for him i don't think though that this that his his ability in taking story elements and then fleshing them out into real characters on paper um that come alive on screen is strong i it's just not very strong and maybe it's just because he was expecting the flash in the pan of the premise to carry the story through um because you've got some really great acting here i just think that um it it's 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 almost like they were trying to do office space meets the raid and like we talked about last week um with um love witch right um it's the juxtaposition while interesting just doesn't work um it it it's not boring it's not bad but uh when you get beyond when you get when you get to the nitty gritty of these characters and people who are actually trying to get things done in the movie versus the shock factor of what's going on in the movie, you, you'll find that it's not as great as its premise lends it to be. I give this one 2.75 out of 5. Um, better than okay. Can't quite say that I liked it. What do you got there, Tim? I pretty much agree with you uh, all around. I thought the movie tried too hard. It's definitely an interesting premise. It's well-intentioned. But I found it boring. I see, I know what the movie is trying to go for. It just... I, I don't know. I, I think the reason why Guardians of the Galaxy works so well is because James Gunn has this really interesting writing style, how he structures a story, how he creates these characters, to where I think only him, he has an idea of, of how to capture it on film and how to show it on screen, I guess. And... That's what was missing here. It needed more like stylized direction. It needed more of a director's vision than it completely relying on a script. And I know that James Gunn also wrote and directed the movie Super, which I didn't really care for. But at least Super, they were trying to do something different, both with characters, the script, and just trying to tell a, a, just a different superhero story. I can appreciate it, even though I, I don't like that movie at all. I can appreciate what it was trying to do. With this one, there's really not a whole lot to appreciate from either the script or the direction. It's just, like what Matt was saying, an interesting premise. And that's it. A lot of people like it. I mean, that's why I, I put it on the, the list to uh, to check it out. I know a lot of, I guess, younger critics are enjoying the movie I just don't think audiences are really getting a kick out of it after further review. But uh, I'm sticking with two out of five. I appreciate it for the most part. It's just overall boring and, and nothing really works. So two out of five. All right. So then I guess we are now officially going to Colossal, correct? <laughs> correct. That is a Colossal yes. Outstanding. You don't remember anything last night, huh? I got really melodramatic, didn't I? Told me that you weren't really on a vacation. 
say you've been looking for a job for a year, your boyfriend didn't work out. You are out of control. What? I've packed two things. They're in the bedroom. What? And since you didn't have any money, you decided to move back here. Is there anything else? Don't remember anything. I just looked at the news, and I think I'm in shock. A giant monster just materialized over Seoul. That happened like nine hours ago. You were just hearing about this. What have you been doing all day? You ever notice how it just keeps destroying everything in its path, but it never looks down? It's like it's being operated by remote control. <laughs> Gloria, you gotta see this. It's dancing. It's dancing like... Holy sh... All right, so that's going to be a 2016, colossal 2016 science fiction black comedy film. Uh, it is written and directed by Nacho Vigolando. Uh, film stars Anne Hathaway, Jason Sudeikis, Dan Stevens, Austin Stowell, and Tim Blake Nelson. So what we have here is a Gloria, who is a writer struggling with alcoholism, eventually kind of loses her way, gets kicked out by her boyfriend, and lands back at home, um, back in her hometown, where her childhood friend Oscar um, tries to help her get back on his on her feet. Um, Oscar is played by Jason Sudeikis. Now, what we don't seem to what what uh, once the thing kind of gets set up is that um, as as Gloria steps into a playground at a specific time, all of a sudden in Korea, we have a kaiju shows up, right? Yeah, uh, so uh, like a Godzilla for for anybody in the world that still doesn't know what that is, um, and as we progress through the movie, we it turns out that um, Oscar also has a similar ability here, and so the movie kind of um, takes this very very farcical approach to weighing relationships and what the meaning of what what the true meaning of free will and domination can mean um and how it can play out not just in your own life but how it affects other people and in this case the other people would be the population <laughs> of south korea um the movie has a lot of really interesting, again, really interesting ideas. But where this movie, where, but whereas Belko Experiment just doesn't seem to flesh anything out beyond its initial idea, um, here you've actually got real characters. The problem is, is that the, the wackadoodle style and the presentation of the film is, is more often hard to follow um, than it is something that you can easily suspend your disbelief for. Um, it's kind of like you can suspend your disbelief for one half of it, or you can suspend your disbelief for the other. So you can suspend your disbelief in terms of the relationship and the complexities and how things are unfolding in terms of the control aspects of, of Gloria and Oscar. Or you could suspend your disbelief and see kind of this weird metaphor playing out amongst the kaiju in Korea. But when you try to put them both together, 
Um, they just don't jibe. And in this case, I won't use juxtaposition because um, there it's not a position next to a position. It's not two separate things purposely laid out side by side for you to compare. These are things that are, one is literally causing the other in this particular context. So you're literally asked to suspend your disbelief for the whole premise. So, um, and for me, I just, it just seems to be like it was a little too ambitious. I think the, I think the genre blending, um, wasn't pulled off as well as it could have been. However, this one is far more entertaining and has much better character work. Um, I was really impressed with Jason Sudeikis actually in this, in this film, despite me not liking his character at all, which was, I think the point. Um, I was really impressed with Jason Sudeikis in terms of his acting and his characterization. I give this one 3.5 out of five. Um, it is an enjoyable flick. It's a little out there and it's not for everybody, but it is good. What do you got there, Tim? I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I had no idea what to expect. Uh, other than like the basic premise, I wasn't exactly too sure how they were going to pull it off. I knew going into it that it was not going to be a disaster monster movie, but it was going to be more of a drama. And the whole idea that she can control a monster in Korea was really kind of like more of a metaphor for some of the more personal things she has to deal with, like uh, her alcoholism and all that jazz. But I really, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. This is a 3.75 movie for me. The risks that the movie takes are initially strange and slightly off-putting, but once events do unfold, it actually works. I mean, everything, I'm going to, I'm going to go with what we all kind of know already without spoiling anything, but just the whole idea of her getting to where, when she finds out that she can become the monster by setting foot in this little play pit area at the local children's park, you know, it, it's strange at first in the build up to it. You really don't know if it works or not, but everything that follows after it totally works and it all kind of fits together it's just you have to write it for a while you know you have to write the moment for a while to see where it's going to lead and some of it is off-putting more off-putting than that uh like when jason sudeikis's character becomes more developed and you find more out about him some of the things he does is a little strange but it ultimately works I think the less you know about this movie going into it, you'll get more out of it. So I highly recommend it, even though I give it a 3.75. It's a solid 3.75, and it's one I could definitely watch again. I think uh, the director here, Nacho, and I hope he continues making interesting movies like this where he takes takes risks, you know, uh, because this easily could have been absolutely horrendous, but it's not. It's a very interesting kind of like self-empowering movie, even though it was kind of lacking that self-empowering aspect there kind of at the end. So 3.75, colossal. Right on, right on. Okay, well, this leaves us with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Hope you're ready. It'll be here any minute. Is that a rifle? You don't know what a rifle looks like? It's just swords were your thing and guns were mine. But I guess we were both doing guns now. I just didn't know that. Oh, that's intense. I see it within you. Fear. Jealousy. Betrayal. It is our duty to cleanse the universe of this weakness. 
know, they told me you people were conceited douchebags. But that isn't true at all. Dude. Ah, I'm using my wrong eye. So we're saving the galaxy again? Yep. Awesome! We're really going to be able to jack up our prices if we're two-time galaxy savers. Yes! Sometimes, the thing you're searching for your whole life, it's right there by your side all along. You're right. All you do is yell at each other. You're not friends. No, we're family. Except maybe her. After all these years, I've found you. And who the hell are you? I'm your dad, Peter. Yes, 2017 American superhero film based on the Marvel uh, comic superhero team Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and, of course, produced by Marvel Studios, distributed by uh, Disney, because it's all Disney now, right? Everything's Disney now. Uh, this one, of course, is directed by James Gunn. And unlike Volume 1, if you will, was solely written by James Gunn. Now, this gets the sole writing credit, um, you know, if there's a team or whatever, fine. Um, but I would like to point out something. Guardians of the Galaxy was written by James Gunn and Nicole Perlman. And I would like to stress what I said from the Belko experiment and translate it to Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Guardians of the Galaxy is an absolutely phenomenal movie and it is one hell of a ride. You are not going to be sorry that you, that you went and saw this movie. However, where the strengths of the movie lie are solely in in the respect that Gunn has for his audience in terms of the characterizations and and the characters that you have come to know and love and their and the immediacy with which you feel yourself being thrown right back into these people these into this in these people's lives and you just understand you get in and it's just like you know you pick up right where you left off but make no mistake this is literally one of you know like the like the beauty and the beast song tale as old as time okay plot as old as time it is literally one of the most reused overhashed uh cycled out plots that you have ever seen and you have to acknowledge that. That is a failing of this movie. You have to acknowledge it. The other thing is that, that, that something that gets me is that 80s nostalgia, 70s, 80s nostalgia is all the rage, right? Um, you know, the, the level of access that we have to it is great, but you have to kind of build on that. Um, and they try to build on that in the wrong ways and they do it more with, um, expanding on with his dad in terms of um Kurt Russell and everything than they do with uh, with with Chris Pratt and yet you get certain things like um in one section of the movie we see um Chris Pratt becoming a Pac-Man kind of a character thing right and um in other parts of the movie, you see like the bad guys and, you know, they're, they're, everybody's kind of sleeping and, and they're sucking their thumbs and holding little bunnies and stuff like that. And it's like trying to evoke Hook or something like that, I guess. I mean, you know, something where, oh, look, look let's throw the little kids a bone or something like that. And 
that's not what you do with a PG-13 movie of this caliber. Um, that's what movies like Hook are for. That's what Pixar is for. That's, you know, do that stuff for the kids. This is already a PG-13 movie. This is already a film where the laughs are there, where the characters are there. You don't have to do that. So it's a little too ham-fisted, um, and the plot is literally, you know, from the damn radio days. And yet, and yet, this movie is fucking fun. 4.5 out of 5. Recognize that it has flaws. The first movie for me was a 5. So it has come down. Um, but, but it's, but it's because Gunn understands how to direct and, it, and he understands how to respect his audience. That's what salvages this, salvages this score. 4.5 out of 5. Bring us home, Tim. For whatever it's worth, I gave Gardens of the Galaxy a 4.5 out of 5. But this one isn't too far off. Or maybe it is. I don't know. You tell me. I walked into Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 2 without any expectations. I was told by a coworker that they ditched the Thursday night pre-screening with only 30 minutes to spare, and others have told me that it made for an enjoyable sequel. The main complaint that the friend of mine who left early had was that they couldn't take it anymore. He didn't get into much detail of what it was, but he got tired watching the same old thing. Other than the impressions I had based on the trailer, that's all I had to go off of. I decided to play it safe and go and see the 9am 3D IMAX showing on a Sunday, which only cost me $14, so that was good, just in case, I didn't know if I was going to like it or not. I showed up at 8.55am, found my reserved seat smack dab in the middle of the theater, and once Baby Groot began his opening credits dance to ELO's Mr. Blue Sky, I almost fucking lost it. What I enjoyed most about the Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 1 was how separated it was from all the other Marvel flicks. There weren't any references to the Avengers, it was its own deal. The inclusion of Thanos and the Infinity Stone felt like your standard MacGuffin, which still would have worked if this were a true standalone movie, without ties or connections to any of the other Marvel flicks. On top of that, the visuals in Volume 1, and the, and the writing, and the characters, made Guardians of the Galaxy not only one of the best Marvel flicks, but a damn entertaining sci-fi flick. So with Volume 2, up until Baby Groot's solo dance number to ELO's Mr. Blue Sky, I wasn't sure how it would be able to come even close to matching Volume 1 without being a carbon copy. And it was that opening number that put me at ease, reassuring that it's not your run-of-the-mill Marvel tie-in movie. No, it allowed me to enjoy myself. And just like the first one, the visuals are a treat for the eyes, colorful and detailed. The alien makeup and the prosthetics are gorgeous and look fresh, like something we're not used to seeing over and over again. Being the proper sequel that it is... Volume 2 didn't have to constantly tell us things and introduce things regarding character and story elements. 
Now that the characters have an established base created by Volume 1, they're able to grow, building upon their personalities and relationships, becoming a family that we can actually believe in. Unlike in the Fast and Furious movies, when you're constantly told that they're a family without actually showing it in a nuanced and believable way. There's a lot of fun to be had with these characters in the story, but the flick is frustratingly flawed. It does so much right, which makes it worse. I felt this way recently with Doctor Strange and Rogue One, which are well-made and thought-out movies. With Doctor Strange, I felt it was miscast and relied too heavily on sounding smart and methodical as well as relying on the Avengers formula. And with Rogue One, though also visually stunning and the last half being well thought out, it had a poor script. It was miscast. And it was complete in total fan service. My rating for both movies suffered because the things I didn't like in both flicks were its crutch. Rogue One relied on its fan service and all the things recognizable from A New Hope, and Doctor Strange relied on casting Benjamin Cumberbatch and evoking the wisdom and trippy visuals that grabbed our attention in Christopher Nolan's Inception. It wasn't the case, though, for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. The it that caused my friend to leave the movie early was its jokiness. We like these characters, because regardless of what kind of danger they are in, somebody will make a snarky comment or blurt out an overly comedic piece of reaction dialogue. This, along with various sight gags, the secondary and third-grade character building, and the many instances of characters giving a dramatic monologue explaining why they are the way they are, it all begins to feel routine. And there's a stretch in the middle of the movie when there's nothing fresh to redeem itself from the exposition-filled Avengers movie dialogue that Guardians of the Galaxy should not have. That's when the movie becomes bloated and repetitious. Yes, you feel for these characters, which makes some of it necessary, but much of it could have been achieved differently, like without dialogue, which is often more dramatic. But with saying all that, Volume 2 made for a very entertaining time at the movie theater, and it was probably the most satisfying movie I've seen in theaters this year. It's a good movie. It's entertaining. A lot of people consider it better than the first one because the first one is a character setup movie. You know, and this one is able to take its time more and build off the characters and create something fun and new. And what I really liked about this movie is that I was able to sit back, enjoy it, and for the most part, let a lot of these critiques just roll off my back. Unlike these other Marvel movies where... They just stick with me for a long period of time. This is a very good movie. I give it 4 out of 5. If you haven't seen it yet, which I don't think anybody listening to the show has uh, has, has not seen it, <laughs> uh, it's definitely well worth your time. And if you can go see it in IMAX, it's definitely worth seeing in IMAX. It's a very good movie, and I'm excited for uh, for Volume 3. And I'm just so glad that James Gunn and other producers are adamant not letting 
Guardians of the Galaxy being another Marvel Avengers tie-in movie. So it's good. Check it out. Four out of five. Right on, right on. Okay, well then, uh, that does bring us to the end of the movies. Uh, For when we come back, episode 233, uh, the movies are going to be Alien, Covenant, and King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. And I believe that does bring us to everything but the spiel. I guess it's time for the spiel, isn't it? Yeah, uh, spiel on! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by music partners Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are of course the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me this is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345 You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Michael Rooker, I get to say this. I think all the roles I've done have been very passionate people who go to absolute extremes to make their points. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Or in two weeks. Or or in two weeks. But, you know, we we might still talk. Who knows? Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>